As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Hello and welcome to the Prep to Pro NBA Draft Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Max Carlin, and I'm joined as always by Jake Rosen. Jake, how are you doing? I'm doing well today, Max. How are you? I am all right. Um, all right, so we are going to talk about uh, defense manipulation today, um, why it's valuable, how guys do it, uh, and some some relevant examples. Um, so... I think the reason that defense manipulation is so valuable is, you know, as we've talked about, the the offense is at a you know slight slight advantage in the like uh, natural state of basketball, and that they get to choose what they do. But you know, the defense can respond to that to some extent, attempting to concede only what they want to concede. And the idea with defense manipulation is that you manipulate the defense into conceding the windows and and looks that you want. Um, and so, obviously, being able to um, you know, guide the defense to, to do what you want as an offensive player is, is highly valuable because you can get the looks that, that best suit your personnel. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a thing that's, that's quite valuable to have in a prospect. Uh, I think it also is, is reflective of sort of higher level understanding of, of, you know, basketball concepts and scheme, uh, and shows off an anticipation that that's relevant in, you know, all areas of the sport, be it, you know, as a team defender or as an off-ball offensive player, you know, these things are very relevant. Um, so that's why we, I think, value defense manipulation very highly in prospects. Anything yeah. to add before we... I mean, I was just going to say the part I'm most looking forward to is like talking about the different types. Um, like a lot of times, you know, it just gets pegged under the same umbrella of being able to move and manipulate the defense. And I think, you know, the intricacies and different ways to do that and, you know, the pros and cons of those avenues don't get talked about enough. So I'm really excited to like dive into those specific ways that certain prospects and players do that and, you know, help contextualize this big, um, I'm going to say word process, um, however you want to describe it. Uh, it's definitely the root of basketball, you know, like who's going to move the defense and all the big stars are more than capable of doing it. And I think it's probably the crown jewel in a prospect. And so I'm really excited to talk about it. Yeah. So the first area that we're going to talk about, I think is, is kind of the one that I think when people refer to defense manipulation there, they frequently are just referring to this and that's using your eyes to manipulate the defense. Um, and so I think the really important distinction to raise here is that manipulating a defense with your eyes is not just throwing no looks. Um, that can be cool, but there's also like very much a quality, I think, to some no looks 
that's very similar to like smacking the floor on defense and then just like being flat footed and getting blown by like just a no, a no look. It does not inherently do anything. Um, using your eyes to manipulate the defense is, is much more about moving defenders to preemptively create windows that you want or, or to not like, you know, sell out a cutter or something like that. But I, I think that like really what's, what's central to, to using your, de- your eyes to manipulate the defense is, is moving defenders, uh, particularly when they're in like compromised positions of, of being forced to, to split two guys on the weak side or something like that, or, or, you know, make, make a commitment to the role or to recover that sort of thing. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a huge and necessary distinction between no looks and actually moving someone. And, you know, a prospect that this was relevant to when I was watching all of the book night games with with UConn. I mean, this is something that really stood out. I'll always remember like there was a pass against USC where, you know, he was dribbling down in semi-transition and rifled like a one-handed no look. And at first I was kind of like very impressed and blown away. Then when I kind of rewound, it was like, oh, that window was kind of always there for him. And he just added some style points and that's okay there's something against that but it's a really big distinction to make and then the more you watch book night you see that he actually does struggle with getting to you know his second and third read and breaking down layers of the defense and identifying that initial pass as just like a flashy extra look rather than like falsely claiming uh he moved the tag defender you know that could lead you down a really dangerous path when evaluating a certain prospect so i think like book night is definitely fits that bill and he also like you I you mentioned this was really important the defensive manipulation like could be you know the the like foundation of something bigger that represents like your extreme understanding of the game and like I think on the other side of the spectrum like that's something that book night as a prospect while he's a great scorer and ex- extremely scalable and I'm like I'm definitely more keen to buying into him I think his processing speed and ability to like I said get to multiple layers is a little shaky. And I think this is seen by his inability to manipulate the defense. Yeah. And if you like evaluating prospects on film is, is kind of all about inferences, especially when you're talking about um, the way they approach and see and feel the game. Like if you're making an incorrect inference that just simple, no looks means that, that that a, a guy is capable of manipulating defense. That's a pretty huge error in terms of, you know, what your expectations for, for growth can be in terms of being a big time offensive engine. Like that's a high leverage mistake if you're making that mistake, um, which is why it is important to like consider, you know, is this, is this a flashy no look or even an effective no look, right? Like, like, you know, it, are they seeing a guy cut back door and then not, you know, not selling them out to the, to, you know, their unsuspecting defender by, by locking in on them, you know, that, that's one thing. And that's certainly mm-hmm. useful, but it's not the same thing as, yeah, like forcing a commitment to the tag. And then, you know, you've got, you've got a weak side defender splitting two and you sell the skip to the corner and then actually hit the wing. Like those are two very different things in terms of the process that you're going through to, to make those decisions and, and you know, use your eyes there. The wait is finally over. Football is in full effect and the NBA is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on everything imaginable this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than any place online. Head to Bet Online today and use promo code ARMCHAIR to take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. Bet Online. Your online sportsbook experts.
Yeah, no, I definitely like. I think it may have come off that I was anti no look passes if you're not moving the defense. So thank you for clarifying that. And like a prospect, just like I like, I know like people listening like tying these things to prospects. Like when I, I haven't watched Florida in a while, but Trey Mann in the beginning of the season did a great job of making effective no look passes. You know, he wasn't necessarily moving the defenders all around the court and playing chess, but there were windows that he, like you said, kept open because he didn't lock in on them and you know give away the secret that only the offense knew before it was too late for the defense to react to it so yes there is such thing as effective no looks but it is worth distincting the two because at the end of the day actually having the ability to move the defense and have them in the palm of your hand is extremely more valuable yeah because because then when you're looking for prospects who are moving the defense you know this is your your scotty barnes your sharif cooper these are highly intelligent players who can play off of the defense's expectations to then create the shots they want so you know Sharif is is locking in on the roll and he's skipping it to the corner or you know you know Scotty is is um you know locking in on the corner and is going to hit the wing like like these are guys who are using their eyes to move defenders all over the floor and it's I think it's reflective of a high level intelligence that you see throughout their games um and you know it's, it's really integral if you're going to be entrusting them with with offensive creation and handling reps yeah no definitely um like before we move on from the eyes, like I do want to say like, yes, this is obviously the most, you know, common. And then you preface with that. Um, what I was ranting on in the beginning is that like, there are multiple types of this. So, you know, just because someone doesn't possess this specific trait on a given game, or it doesn't to go down this Avenue in a given game, that doesn't mean that they don't have the ability to manipulate the defense. It's just that it's more unorthodox and less traditional and that's okay. And I mean, I think this, the eyes is probably the most, you know, reliable and consistent, but however, it's not all about, you know, moving the defense with your eyes. There's other ways to do this and I'm excited to dig into those. And I did just want to preface that like, look, it's, I think it's pretty rare to like come across a prospect who's capable of moving the defense and doesn't do even a little bit with their eyes. But if that is the case, like, don't just throw it out the window because there are multiple ways to, you know, achieve the same goal. Yeah. Yeah. Using, using your eyes is very important, but it's not the, the, um, you know, the only thing when it comes to defensive manipulation. Also just a random aside, this is something that I do think is pretty useful to see in person. Uh, you know, we, we all watch a, a lot of, uh, film on, on just on computers, but, uh, eyes, definitely something that you can see better in person because you can see you know angle of someone's head and you can actually like sometimes see their their actual eyes but that is something you, you can for sure pick up on uh on video as well but but that's uh something i've noticed is, is helpful to see in person um all right next we've got body um and this is something that i think can be a lot harder to pick up on uh is a lot more subtle and is not something that I think a lot of players can really learn. Um, but we're talking about here, like, the, you know, leaning in slightly in one direction to set up uh, either screen usage or rejection or like slight, slight hesitations, little like, like feigning if you're, as if you're going to gather um, either for a pull up or for a layup or, you know, it, it's these very, very subtle movements that ever so slightly get a player off, a defender off balance, and then you're able to to seize upon it. This, I would say, is is, is the most rare thing to see. But 
I think Jalen Suggs this year is a really uh, notable example of this, that we've, we've both, I think, fixated on a lot of the subtlety in his game. Uh, and a lot of that, I think, comes from his usage of body. I mean, you can see this with Sharif Cooper as well, that like Sharif will, will ease up just on his torso and it makes it look like, like either he's coming to a stop or is going to pivot or gather or something like that. And then it's exploding downhill. Um, and if you're looking at this on an NBA level, I mean, it's like James Harden is the, the master of this, that it's all in these tiny, tiny little movements that are just ever so slightly going to shift the defender's weight. And then it's seamless explosion downhill. Yeah, I think it's this is really apparent with Suggs because we've talked about it. He doesn't have that um, ball on a string handle that's going to, you know, swing the ball out one way and put you on the floor with the snatchback. He, it's just not the kind of player he is. However, he really does a good job of winning by using his body to manipulate. Like with Sharif, I think it's harder for some people, even myself included, to, you know, really get a distinct like, oh, he manipulated with his body there or he used his handle there you know because there's so much going on with him but with Suggs I think he's like the best example from a prospect that I can remember um I made a quick note of like Suggs in semi-transition loves going to this like high hands move you know where he'll, he'll leverage his pull-up jumper and just all it takes is a little you know just stop like not fully stop but like a little hesitation slow down raise up your shoulders act like you're pulling up for three and then go get downhill and like that's not a move that requires you to necessarily have the ball in a string, but you do need to sell that you're actually taking the pull-up jumper. So while he might not be able to size you up with three dribble combos, he will absolutely, I mean, I've seen it with my own eyes multiple times. And I even wrote about it with like a three clip sequence in my article with him. He is absolutely masterful at, you know, raising, raising up at the right time, slowing down at the right time. And these are all subtle movements, but, you know, defenses overreact to subtle movements. And, you know, especially when you have the pull-up like Suggs does, I think he kind of fits this to a T. Yeah, it's, this is actually something that, that Jalen Brown has added. And, and mentioning semi-transition reminds me of that. Because what he'll do is he's, he's handling semi-transition and he'll get low and start to lean forward and will hit the defender with a hang. And then out of that, he can either rise up for a pull-up three or he can explode downhill. And, I mean, it's pretty brutal, man. Like, you you just, like, guys go way onto their heels whenever he does it. Um and, and, you know, he has, he has both options out of that. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, this is something I think is probably the hardest thing to pick up on visually, just because it's always going to be really subtle, but it comes back to the, you know, to the idea of, of advanced advantage creation that we talked about that, like, there is a level of, of also, you really have to be in tune with, with like feeling out how the defender is moving, where his balance is at, where his center of gravity is at. Uh, and then, you know, having the, the, the diverse, uh, you know, whether it's ball handling moves or explosion downhill or, or, you know, I mean, diverse shooting ability, you know, to be able to, to launch out of a, like one of those hangs or something like that uh, is, is really important and, and like just incredibly potent and an indicator of, of I think, pretty high feel. Yeah, it's really interesting. And this is why I'm so fascinated by this specific avenue for defensive manipulation a lot of times we attribute def defensive manipulation towards playmaking because you're often moving the defense to playmake for others but i think with the body manipulation you see this in a lot of the best like the really good scores which was a really interesting point like for me um when you're talking about that Jalen brown like kind of like that hang dribble pull up three i, I couldn't 
my mind absolutely jumped towards like pre-college Michael Porter Jr. When he was playing with Mo Elite and he had the most patented hang dribble pull up three I've ever seen at 6'11". Um, that was his signature. What you know, when Nathan Hale needed a bucket or Mokan needed a bucket, he would get the rock at the top of the key and he would just put you in such a compromising position because that ball was hanging. And if you didn't respect him, he's going to shoot and pull up right over you. And if you did respect him, he'll get downhill and either make a play for himself or others. And you know, that's just really fascinating because we're talking about Michael Porter Jr., who, I mean, has definitely had his feel struggles in the NBA, yet in this particular like microcosm of defense manipulation, he absolutely excels. And, and I think this is just really a really interesting point. Um, a lot of like the ISO scores, the big time pull-up shooters, I think this is a trait like they probably get need to get more credit for because it's not as easy as just you don't just get to your spot because you want to get to your spot. You get to your spot because you fooled the defense for a split second that you were going somewhere else and then you got to your spot. And I think, you know, like those shot makers, I'm not saying like this is not me coming to defend all ISO pull up shooters, but I think there is a bit more nuance and they get credit for. And at the very least, it's worth noting when watching for scouting or even just for fun. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, the, the goal is to generate good shots. And if a good shot for you is a hang pull up three or, you know, maybe you hit the, you, you hit the defender with a hang and, and he, you know, see, expects the pull up three to be coming and you explode downhill and maybe it's a rhythm, you know, pull up 15 footer like that. That's a good shot for really good shot makers. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's just about generating good shots. And, and there is a level of feel required to breaking down your own defender, even if it's not necessarily understanding high level defensive concepts like it's you know it, it's still processing a lot of stimuli and re- reacting on the fly um and, and being flexible in that, in that regard and you know how you respond um so yeah i think that they're just like body body manipulation like you said really important for for scoring um for winning in an individual sense and something that that's that's for sure hard to pick up on but but needs to be um you know, guys need to get enough credit when, when they can do it, because it can be pretty devastating. And, you know, if you're leveraging it, like, like MPJ or Brown or, or Suggs or um, wait. James Harden. Before we move on, I, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit here. Cause I'm like looking for an answer. Why do you, I have like my ideas, but when, you know, when you're comparing this, um, we talked about eyes, talking about body and we're going to talk about ball fakes in a, in a little bit. I think we can, we both agree, like, this is the rarest to see out of the three. And I was just like, why do you think that is? Uh, I think it's because it's really hard to move your body this intentionally, especially when you're talking about guys who, you know, are like between 6'5 and like 6'10. Like, you need an insane level of coordination to be doing this. And that's just like hard to come by when you're that large of a human being, when you're any size of human being, but especially like the larger you get. Uh, So I think it's a level of coordination. That's like kind of insane required for these things. And I think like very few people can probably process these things that quickly. Um, But I do think, I do think it's mostly like very few people have the coordination to actually sell these things really well. Yeah, no, I mean, one, I I definitely agree with the point about, you know, needing to possess a rare set of coordination. And I think that definitely feeds into like the point that was like, don't underestimate this when you do see it, because, you know, it doesn't come around ever, ever so like often. And 
I think it can be extremely valuable. And then what I was going to say, like, I was just thinking about, you know, when you're growing up and you're watching and you're learning like the fundamentals of the game, like ball fakes, that's common. You're taught that when you're eight years old, you know, show the ball one way, pass the other. And then I think as you get older, it's easier. We see the league's best point guards, the best initiators move the defense with their eyes all the time. Like we see these no look passes. We see, you know, these cross court skips where you're staring down the roll and shoot it to the opposite corner. And I think these are definitely more like generalized versus the body manipulation is definitely something of like much more nuanced that doesn't get talked about as much, which is why like, I'm not saying I have the fix for it, but I'm just saying it's really interesting because when it's used correctly and you actually know what you're doing in like with manipulating your body and, you know, showing the defender one way with like, whether it's just like a little step in one direction before you cut back the other way or just, you know, like rising up for a split second to get the defender to relax before you blow by them. Like these are all very valuable, small skills that when you they're in conjunction with the rest of your game can be the difference between getting a bucket or getting a, or not getting a look off. And I just think it's really interesting. And I'm just like thinking about, how it could be more common, but I just want to get your two cents on that. Yeah, I think that another like relevant point is that we're also talking about things that like are necessarily arrhythmic and like human beings don't do well with that. Like when you're when you're talking about a like a hang pull up, like you you're kind of like taking yourself out of a normal rhythm or like you're talking about abnormal movements to try to throw someone else off balance. Like it, it's all of these things that are, that are like fundamentally abnormal. Um, and I don't think that that is something that's like easy to train your body to, to do because that's not how like the human body really works. Um, Wait, but I'm probably I, overextending myself here. No, I have one more person who fits this bill who I'm very surprised now thinking about it, that you didn't put on the outline and that's Jaden Springer and body control and deceleration in the paint. Um, I watched the Georgia game this morning. I've been watching a bunch of Tennessee lately. And I just put in my notes at this point, it's the Springer special. I'm going to get downhill. I'm going to look like I am sprinting absolutely towards the rim. And I'm going to stop on a dime, decelerate and play off two and get to my little floater slash small pull up. And why that's so impressive is as a defender, you can't really anticipate that because one, it's so abnormal. And two, you can't play that little pull up because then in theory, he'll just take it all the way to the rim. Like when he gets a step downhill, he forces the defender like to turn and run. You can't slide anymore. You're turning and you're running. And in a sense, he is manipulating you by getting all the way downhill. And he knows that he can fall back on this little short jump stop and like quick little touch shot, touch push shot. But at the end of the day, like him getting a step and going full speed downhill from like the three point line to like five feet around the rim, that's body manipulation. And that gets the defender to bite downhill and sprint and try to pin him at the rim. And before you know it, he's rising up for a five foot jumper. Yeah. Yeah. Deceleration is something that I think goes underappreciated. Like if everyone could hard decelerate the way Gordon Hayward does and hit like little nine foot leaners, they would do it. The problem is most human beings aren't capable of decelerating like that. So when, yeah, if you can like hard decelerate like that and then have the body control to still be getting up like these little touch shots, that's, you know, really impressive. That's a really impressive way to manipulate someone else's momentum against them to create viable looks. Yeah, I think I got it all out on body manipulation, but that was definitely one that I wanted to highlight.
All right. So, so now we'll move on to something that's more of a fundamental thing, like you said, ball fakes. Um, so pass fakes, I think, are, are obviously used very frequently. Um, and like, I, I, like someone like Scotty Barnes, I think he uses a lot of pass fakes that, it, that there, there are some fun possessions this year where it's like fake a strong side kick and then I have the longest arms in the world and I'm just going to extend and drop it in. Um, but the thing that I want to talk about a little bit more, I think, are um, shot fakes because I think that they're underutilized, especially for this this group of of guys that are the the real tough shot makers, uh, especially in like in the mid range where they're working off the catch um, to immediately get into tough shots. Um, so, like, I think the master of ball fakes, like of of all time, is probably Larry Bird. Um, and he did both. He did the shot fakes and the pass fakes. And, you know, they serve multiple functions because like yeah, they would, they would get himself open obviously for, for easier looks. Um, and that he would use them to open up teammates as well. Um, and it, I think it like a lot of it stemmed from, yes, with the pass fakes, like crazy vision and crazy height and being, having access to passes that guys don't normally have, but with the shot fakes, it's like getting quickly into like little turnarounds and, or just like rising over guys when you're that big defenses react to that very extremely. Uh, so I think like we've been seeing that, I think a little more with, with Jason Tatum this year that on some of those like chest screen type things that he comes off of, he's just been like rising from 15 feet in directly into shots. And the thing is like when you're an elite tough shot maker and you hit those defenses react to that. And so if you're then coming off of one of those screens and you, start to you know start to rise but you don't actually and you maintain a pivot then you know defender flies by and you're just you know one one dribble into a dunk or you know one dribble another defender comes slides over from like the dunker spot and it's a drop off so i think that that particularly for these really these big tough shot makers getting really proficient with ball fakes is a huge way to generate better looks Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. For yourself and also drive team offense yeah and i don't watch as much celtics as you so i can't fully comment on the tatum but i want to talk about like zaire williams and i think this is a potential avenue for him you know looking at someone who is underdeveloped physically doesn't have a very good handle and there's just not a lot of ways for someone who he does he is a relatively high field player but there's just not a lot of ways for him to you know functionally put that to use because of those physical limitations and the handle. And I think this is a potential avenue for him to, you know, bring some like untapped upside to the table. I'm not saying it's, I mean, Tatum is starting to just figure that this out in what, like year four. Um, I'm not saying that this is, you know, an easy way for him to make an impact and move the defense, but I am saying if anyone in this class is going to do it and, you know, find this little niche, it, probably should be him you know standing at 6'8 with the high release point a very versatile shooter can get it 
off the catch, off the bounce, comfortable off movement. And you basically have to respect him as a shooter from all over the court. And I just want to point him out as someone who could like potentially make this leap. Again, it's definitely not something I want to bet on, but I just do think if we're identifying candidates, he's probably going to be at the top of the list. But there are levels to it, right? Like Zaire Williams coming off of a curl, like at the elbow can rise into a shot. Like he has, he has that, that movement shooting ability to do that. And that's a pretty threatening shot. And so are you telling, like, maybe he won't be, be like, you know, moving multiple defenders and generating amazing looks, but if he can, you know, fake like he's going to shoot coming off of that, then maybe, you know, the screen setter dives and he can hit that guy and he has that read available to him. And that would be really valuable. I think that that's something that, that looking at like Anthony Edwards last year, another big time tough shot maker. Like, I think that that was definitely something that you could envision with him, especially given that he would have, he has the added threat of he can come off that curl and he can put the ball on the floor and, you know, he has a, a diverse finishing package and he's so strong. And, you know, he, I think he's, he's a bit more diversely skilled if he has the ball in that area than, than someone like Zaire, but, but you can certainly see leveraging that sort of tough shot making on, you know, in situations like that. And it could be very valuable. Yeah, no, 100%. And I do, while we're on like the topic of like ball fakes and stuff, I do want to talk about Jalen Suggs again. Uh, I think this is, again, I wrote it in my piece. Like this is another area where he really, really excels. Um, Again, he doesn't have the handle. He's not going to shake you out of your shoes, but where he is really damn good is he knows exactly where to show the ball. And I think this is actually where like the quarterback is most like, apparent in him a lot of times they're like he'll throw like that cross court baseball pass and everyone's like oh former quarterback this is actually like the mental processing of a quarterback right here because quarterbacks are shifting shape safeties by with their eyes and they're showing the ball it's like players in the corners safeties whoever's in coverage is looking to see the ball and Jalen Suggs knows that that's how tag defenders and rim protectors think so you know whether he's coming off a ball screen or even just hovering around the three-point arc he's very, very efficient at showing the ball to a place where it's like, uh, if you don't come, I'm going to throw this pass, which then draws them either cross court or force them to tag down at the rim, which then opens up these skips and these dump downs for him. And the timing and the patience is really what stands out to me. Uh, I think it's, he, I don't know how to really quantify it, but I think it's an unusual way. And this is why Suggs is a little bit more complicated. And I think people were acknowledging at first, but I think it's a reason why I'm relatively optimistic on him because this Avenue is difficult and it isn't something we see every day yet. He's absolutely excelling and torching defenses just by simply showing the ball. And it's sometimes it's even when he has no dribble, he's not a threat to put the ball on the floor. He's already picked it up and he's still able to move the defense because of this extremely complex understanding of where everyone is going to shift to and what they need to see in order to move. Yeah. And that's why the anticipation I think is so central. It sucks because like you said, it's often not with a live dribble that he's doing this. Whereas um, I guess it wasn't really with a live dribble either, but like, I think this is a trademark of, of Tyrese Halliburton as well. The, he would also incorporate that he was jumping for these, but he would definitely on those jump passes, like he's showing the ball to the roll or to the, or to the weak side corner skip. And then he's going to the other one. Like that was very frequent. Um, I, I, we've both, I think talked about this, the Jaden Springer pass that he had. Um, mm-hmm. I forget which game it was, but he, yeah, the A&M, baseline I trip. Think. Yeah. A&M, I yeah. Think. Yeah. And he, and he, and he shows, he shows that baseline uh, wrap around and then it's a drop off. Um, but yeah, it's, 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 I think 
this I think this is a very like visually apparent way to manipulate the defense. But you know, I, I think that ties in with why it's so effective, right? That like this this isn't subtle. And if you fool someone with it, you're really gonna fool them. Um and so I think it's it's very apparent and very powerful. Uh and and definitely using these ball fakes can really generate huge windows because it's it's forcing commitment in a way that your eyes don't right like if you're locked in on the roll with your eyes the you know the tag defender can, you know might be pretty certain that you're going to the roll but they're not totally certain and they don't have to fully fully commit but if they think that you're shooting if your defender thinks that you're shooting if your defender thinks that you're throwing a pass or a help defender thinks that you're throwing a pass like they're going to commit a lot harder which is why i think that the windows created by by ball fakes are so pronounced and, and why I think it's something that that's built up as, as, you know, fundamental and so important that like, it's very apparent and that, that is like, you know, that there's value. in that. Yeah. And I also like at the beginning of this, we, you know, preface by saying that these little skills or ways to exploit the defense could be extrapolated into something bigger, like high feel. And I think these ball fakes is certainly an example that I'm confidently willing to extrapolate into someone who is very high feel. And the reason for that is you, if you are going to fool someone with this, you need to know where they're supposed to go. You need to know what the typical defensive rotations are and you need to know, okay, they are supposed to go here. So I'm going to show them that they're going to the right place. And then I'm going to dump it down and show them that I'm one step ahead. Like if you're showing a ball fake to, a teammate or a dump down where no one is supposed to be. You're not going to fool anyone. People, maybe some defenders will wildly overreact to any ball fake, but the best ball fakes are showing where the defender is supposed to go in that typical rotation. And then you just, like I said, show them you're one step ahead and you baited them there the whole time. And I think you don't do that unless you're a high field basketball player who has a very complex understanding of the defense and what's going on in the basketball court at every moment of the game. And like, that is this is why the ball fakes is something that I definitely like don't take lightly when I see on film because it is irregular and I do think it means something bigger. Yeah, I think the takeaway from ball fakes would be ball fake more on shots, especially. You like if you're if you're a great tough shot maker, watch a bunch of Larry Bird. Uh you'll become a better player. Um the Sam, the, I don't, the Sam Young pump fake at Pitt. You do you remember? <laughs> I'm telling you, look up a YouTube video, legendary pump fake, Sam Young. All right. <laughs> um, finally, we have uh, getting to spots. Um, I think that we kind of got at this a bit last week when we were talking some about Springer at the end. But if you are especially, a, you know, big time on ball score or, or, you know, off the ball as well, getting to certain spots on the floor is going to draw defensive attention. Um, and so I think that you see this a lot with, with, with Springer and with Cade, with guys who are, who are capable of, of getting to their spots. Like, you know, Springer, it's the, the usage of space with, with, um, you know, hop steps and deceleration um, and with, and especially like with getting guys in jail that if he gets to, you know, the elbow and, ha- and, you know, someone has to stunt at him and he knows that, that's going to create an open shooter or like Cade uh, because he has such a huge strength advantage, especially in the post against college guards. Like if Cade just backs a guy down and he knows that help is going to have to come, then he knows, you know, it's going to vary by team where, where the post help is going to come from, but he, you know, he can combine that 
the getting to the spot with using his eyes with ball fakes to then, you know, pick out the right skip from the post to, to, you know, to an open shooter or to, or to a cutter. Like there is a lot of value as a scorer in working to your spots. Be, you know, if you can then anticipate how the defense is going to have to respond to you. Yeah. And I do think this is like something that I think both of us have probably been on the record talking about is like the best initiators or ball handlers, not only can they create, like not only can they react to advantages, they need to be able to create them as well. And like, that's what you see about getting paint touches, drawing the defense in the first place. And, you know, look, I'd probably like to have my Halliburton evaluation back a little bit, um, but this was that was a big concern with him, you know, like not being able to get the paint touches. How valuable is the passing going to be if you can't move the defense? And granted, it was probably a little like probably overthought it a little bit. And he did end up landing in a good spot. But it is a valuable concern. And it's something that remains concrete in my philosophy that you need to be able to move the defense and apply pressure. The wait is finally over. Football is in full effect and the NBA is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on everything imaginable this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than any place online. Head to Bet Online today and use promo code ARMCHAIR to take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Yeah, I also do think there's this is why Sharif Cooper is such an intriguing prospect is because he has the ability con- to consistently get to his spots and apply pressure on the defense and then he knows what to do when he does get there and we've talked about his ability to manipulate the defense with eyes and you know his body and all that but at the end of the day it's not as valuable as it is if he isn't consistently getting to the paint and forcing the defense to move and forcing the defense to react I mean I see screen grabs on Twitter all the time of like tiny Sharif being surrounded by four defenders. And the reason for that is that he's always in the paint and he's always forcing rotations and he's always forcing help. So I, I do think like these two skills, you know, being able to manipulate the defense while and possessing high field while also being able to individually put pressure on the defense. I think that's the, the combination that you're looking for. Yeah. The, there is something uniquely threatening about someone touching the paint, even if you're not, necessarily that much of a threat to score like defense is going to react to you i think it's like a similar phenomenon to if if someone is a really willing shooter you're going to close out even if he's not a good shooter but much more extreme um and it's something worth worth researching like how important um just paint paint touches are in comparison to like necessarily being a a big time volume scorer in terms of generating looks for teammates um because I'm kind of inclined to think that the paint touches are what matter uh, because you're just getting to the most threatening spot on the floor. Um, And this is all relevant off the ball as well. And I think you see this very clearly from someone like, like David Johnson, who fits into that linking player mold. Um, And and this is really important for linking players. We saw it with Halliburton as well, that figuring out how you can move off the ball in a way that will move the defense that reflects high level understanding, but that's how you, how you, impact the game as an off-ball player that you know knowing that this cut is you know you say your man has his head turned you're perfectly timing up that cut and you're going to draw a tag and all of a sudden this guy is wide open on the wing one pass away you know from the from the ball handler or something like that like the the getting to your spot off the ball thing is is very relevant and as these linking players become more and more important with with higher and higher usage uh primary guys you know 
being able to get to those valuable spots of the floor off the ball, being opportunistic, I think is going to become increasingly important. Yeah, I mean, I can't say it enough. Cutting creates spacing. Uh, you are shifting the defense and you are causing rotations. You're just not doing it with the ball in your hands and that's okay. And it's, again, it's unconventional. It's not how everyone imagines it to be, but there are countless times when in a college game, even a high school game, NBA game, where someone cuts from the weak side and it's the exact scenario that you just said. Someone other, someone has tag responsibilities and it's that starts an entire defensive rotation while the ball handler can just simply observe and then go from there and pick apart the defense. Um, great cutters are extremely valuable. We've talked about it on this pod. I've written about it. Um, and it's definitely not some, a lot of people will say everyone can be a good cutter. I, I disagree. If everyone could be a good cutter, then everyone would be a good cutter and everyone's not a good cutter. We know that for a fact. And there is something to, you know, consistently needing the defense to respect you and keep their head on a swivel because you're so so capable of you know sneaking into these spots and again like this is high feel you need to understand there there is a nuance that goes along with cutting you need to know when to cut you need to know where to cut and all of its timing you need to be on the same page as the ball handler who becomes your passer and and there's it's just a lot more complicated than i think some people assume and i'm not talking about cutting against like a zone like just flashing middle like sixth grade <laughs> triangle offense like i'm not talking about that it's just like consistently no matter where you are on the court being able to find spots that compromise the defense when you don't have the ball in your hands and when that skill is present like that's very valuable honestly yeah and then to be a really high level linking player it's you know, preemptively knowing that your cut to this space is going to draw the defense in this way. And then on the catch, you can seize upon that with no delay whatsoever. And that, that's certainly something you see with Johnson that he'll, that he'll cut to, you know, to a spot on the floor, know that that's going to draw the defense in a specific way. And then instantaneously it's a, it's a redirect to, to the, you know, the advantage that he knew was going to be created. Um, and so that's just that's yet another way to, to manipulate the defense. And I think one that that certainly you get you get credit for as a as a really really smart play. Um, and it's a, people I think acknowledge it's an indication of feel, but it, you know it, it deserves to be grouped uh, with with defense manipulation because at the core of it, that's certainly what you're doing with with you know smart cutting or or, or you know you know improvisational screening for sure. Um, you know all of these things certainly qualify as defense manipulation. Yeah, no, I've been wondering if, you know, Halley's success early on the league as a linking player. I mean, there was a big, not debate or argument, but a big misconception about like what he actually was. You know, every time he was labeled as a point guard rather than just like, no, this guy's a basketball player. Like he'll go on and off the ball. And I think I wonder like if the perception of David Johnson is going to change instead of saying, you know, like he's not quick enough to be a point guard, his handle's too loose and all those, that thing. Maybe it's like, okay, we can actually find a place for this guy because if there's one thing that jumps off the page about David Johnson instantaneously, and that's the processing speed. Um, like you said, he knows exactly where the defense is going to go. And it almost looks like he's playing hot potato when, when he gets the ball on a swing or on a cut, but it, it's so damn effective. And he just knows where to go before he touches it. And it's, you know, sometimes it's manipulative, but a lot of the times it's more reactionary, but it's only reactionary because he drew the defense by making a cut or knocking down catch and shoot threes at a good rate that team that teams have to come out and close out on him now. Um, just little things like that. And the processing speed with him is really, really impressive. And I think he's probably like the exemplary guy for that mold in this class. Yeah, in this class, he certainly is. And, and I mean, last year there was also Denny, uh, I think fits into that linking mold as a guy who was really, really impactful with his cuts. Uh, Okoro fits in there as well. 
Um, these are guys who know how to move the defense with, with off ball movement. Uh, and that that's really valuable. And I think that like the, the hang up with Hallie, I think was, was the size and the fact that, you know, in college, he was more of an on ball player that I think people are more able to understand why that, why Denny is that sort of complimentary for, but saying that, that Halliburton is, a, is like a, you know, complimentary linking to is a bit weirder. And I also think that, that, you know, there, there are real reasons behind that as well, that like the ways that these guys generate value are a bit more limited for, for someone like Halliburton as opposed to, to you know, Denny Avdia. Um, I, with that, should we conclude our discussion of, of uh, defense manipulation? Yeah, I, I think that was fun. Like definitely interesting. Um, like it's not something that, you know, gets all the different types of defense manipulation. I feel like don't get talked about enough. So hopefully we can bring that discourse to the surface. For sure. Uh, do you have any spotlight skill guys you want to go over? I do. I have two. Do you want me to go back to back or we can trade? Uh, let's trade. All right. So I'm going to start with Keon Johnson. Uh, we talked about his Tennessee teammate, Jaden Springer, early on. And what I did want to talk about with Keon Johnson it, um, is just the absurd functional athleticism that he possesses. Um, especially getting downhill. He's able to get downhill and change directions in a split second. And he does such a good job of getting very low and, and, you know, gets literally just, he's just accelerates at such a quick pace downhill and eats up so much space because of it. And, you know, also I know everyone saw the poster dunk last night and like, that was genuinely one of the crazier poster dunks I've seen prospect or not. Uh, He had zero formal momentum. Wasn't, coming off what wasn't didn't get any run up from the ball it was like a light jog into a jump stop and his head was at the rim in a split second and you know that's just stuff that like I don't want to underestimate because that's world-class athleticism in a functional sense and I had someone in my replies like talking about asking who was the better athlete you know him or Jalen Green and Jalen Green is a phenomenal athlete don't get me wrong but what stands out with Keon and the spotlight skill with him was how functional it is and how he's capable of really using it to not only be like a highlight reel, but a very effective basketball player. Yeah, Keon's athleticism is is you know like hundredth percentile and hundredth percentile functionality. That the ease with which he gets off the ground, um, his ability to maneuver space, um, his ability to to leap in different contexts, whether it's off one or two or or in con- through contact, is uh, exceptional. Um, yeah, he he is. Uh, quite the the explosive athlete um i've got uh, another explosive athlete actually but i will be talking about cutting with josh christopher um josh christopher i think has a lot of ability to stress the defense as a cutter um he has he has really good timing um both you know at the moment that his defender turns his head he's darting to the rim or like you know the the you know, the first lunge back to, to him in the corner from a guy who's tagging the role, Josh Christopher can take off to the rim. Um, and so, yeah, we've talked in the past about the idea of, of Josh Christopher as, as an off ball player, um, you know, in some ways that I think mirror Anthony Edwards. Uh, and I think that while, while there's certainly some issues with, with Josh Christopher, particularly as an off the catch player and his, his approach there, he, he has the cutting to fill that, that kind of role. Like he, he is a smart and active cutter. He times his cuts really well. And he, he knows how to, how to, I, I don't know that he's really, you know, that level of manipulator that he's, he's seeing things several steps in advance, but 
he he is able to stress the defense as a cover. Yeah, no, I think with him, it's definitely much more reactionary rather than consciously manipulating. But I, I, he's definitely been a noteworthy cutter in, in my viewing of him. And I think that's definitely, you know, that's a big way for him to make an impact off the ball where I'm a little bit more skeptical of him. You know, the, the catch and shoot jump shot mechanics are a little bit wonky, but I mean, we both agree that there's some intriguing stuff there with the on ball, with his size and his handle. And yeah, the ability to, you know, consistently stay engaged off the ball and get buckets and shift the defense as a cutter is definitely a great bonus. Um, all right, I'll finish up with my last spotlight skill. G League Ignite played their first game today or yesterday. And um, Jonathan Kaminga was pretty good as a playmaker. Um, and I was definitely impressed by it. It, it was a good takeaway. And what I liked most about it was his composure. Um, there was one clip that I really, really liked. And it was he was like coming off of a ball screen. And Kaminga is definitely someone who tries to win with power and plays bully ball, and rightfully so, with, with his frame. But with this one, he came off the ball screen, you know, realized he didn't have a direct line to the rim. And instead of trying to force it, was very composed, you know, played with good pace, like hit the defense a little rise up, like we talked about, to, you know, make them come at him. And there was no, it, he got, I don't want to say he got lucky, but fortunate for him and Ignite, there was no weak side tagger. So it was an easier read, but you know, Kaminga possessed a lot of composure as a playmaker. And I think going forward, that's going to be huge if he can maintain consistency there. Yeah. I have not watched uh, that game yet, but uh, yeah, I think Kaminga has a, a fairly strong track record of, of being a reactive passer. Um you know, to, to reach the next step, he's, he's going to have to become one, one of these manipulators, but uh, it's, it's good to hear that, that the passing returns in, in that first game were solid. Yep. Definitely solid. And I believe we'll be talking about reactive versus manipulating passing in the near future, maybe through the lens of Jonathan Kaminga, maybe not, but stay tuned for that. Um, you have anything to plug? No, but was that, was that a plug from you, Jake? Oh no, that I, I would either I'm going to write about it or we're going to talk about it because it's something that like definitely needs to be explored. Uh, I, I don't I wasn't consciously going for the plug there, but now that I think about it, um, I'm not going to be writing anytime in the near future. I'm pretty busy with classes and, you know, college. It's, it's pretty tough. But hopefully, you know, when the season ends and there's less live film to consistently keep catching up on, I can focus on a group of players or a group of archetype and, you know, put some words to the paper because it is fun. All right. Uh, unless you have anything to plug, I think we are done for, for today. No, um, I am good. All right. We, you can follow the pod at prep2propod on Twitter. You can follow me at Max A. Carlin. And you can follow Jake at Jake in the Paint. Uh, I think that'll do it for today. Yeah. Thank you guys for tuning in. Some people just know there's a better way to do things, like bundling your home and auto insurance with Allstate, or hiring someone to move your piano instead of doing it yourself. So do things the better way. Bundle home and auto and save up to 25% with Allstate. Bundled savings vary by state and are not available in every state. Saving up to 25% is the countrywide average of the maximum available savings off the home policy. Allstate Vehicle and Property Insurance Company and Affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois.